On this podcast, we explore fantastical thinking, moral panics, conspiracy theories, and urban legends, examine the forces that shape our culture, and tell the stories that create the realities we share, and sometimes the realities we don't. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and this is American Hysteria. New reports that Mrs. Reagan's reliance on an astrologer raised new questions about national security. It is not a matter of faith, but of fact. He is not guided by the stars, nor do we intend to have stargazers in the administration. Is she astrologer? Well, Ronnie's still here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, my dear astrological believers, and I know there are a lot of you, I come in peace. I don't come to ruin our shared folk magic, because I believe the most boring thing I could do with this topic would be to debunk astrology. And as a double Leo with a Scorpio moon, let me tell you, the thought of being boring is just unbearable. Instead of looking at astrology as we think of it currently, a map of various personalities based on time and place of birth, I want to tell you a secret history about the underground relationship between American politicians and the stargazing soothsayers who claimed to be able to tell the future. Now, we've relied on mixed accounts from memoirs and interviews of former chiefs of staff, first ladies, advisors, presidents, and astrologers themselves. I've done my best to balance the cosmic scales of truth here, but it's up to you to determine the extent to which astrological influence has affected the course of American history. Today, we're going to retrograde this bitch and start with the most recent past, and then travel further and further back in time. All the way back, in fact, to when America as we know it was just an idea. As we know, politics has always been a project of controlling the future. And more often than you'd think, there were astrologers whispering in the ears of our American kings and queens. In a way, Nancy Reagan was human, just like everyone else. And after the 1981 assassination attempt on her husband, just months after he took office, she became sick with anxiety, unable to predict the next tragedy that might befall her husband, whom she lovingly called Ronnie, arguably the most influential man in the world at that time. In terms of Nancy, not only did she love her Ronnie, but she was also an ambitious perfectionist, a cutthroat first lady, who played a major role in the administration's most important decision-making. She couldn't live with the loss of control that came with that assassination attempt. Because really, how much more out of control does it get when your politician husband is not even shot for political reasons, but because some random stalker wanted to get the attention of his longtime obsession, 18-year-old actor Jodie Foster. There could have been no way, no possible way, to predict something like that. Or could there? I'm a very uh, modern scientific astrologer. I'm an and I have at my command all the technical resources of the space age, really, and computers that I use. And I I do very technical work. 
Joan Quigley was, in her own words, a staunch Republican, one who had lived a charmed life in San Francisco, appearing in the society columns of newspapers, riding in Rolls Royces to cocktail parties full of California's rich and famous. She developed a distinctive look with thin dark eyebrows and stately sculpted dyed blonde hair, a look that bordered on the eccentric but still had one foot in high society. Because listen, Joan was no clownish street occultist. She let it be known that she was a scientific astrologer dedicated to an exhaustive mathematical reading of the planetary placements. After many appearances on talk shows and in tabloid magazines, she had risen in the ranks and become the official seer of Seventeen magazine. When she picked up the phone that day and heard Nancy on the other line, quote, I felt that Reagan had a very good chance of winning, so I did donate my expertise to the campaign. If he had been a Democrat, I probably wouldn't have offered to help. Joan Quigley saw this as her patriotic duty. Soon, she was working daily to foresee any dangers that could come to Ronald Reagan, creating detailed schedules for his safekeeping. Most days, Joan was poring over the planets to relay the information to Nancy, who kept a color-coded calendar on Ronnie's desk, green for good days, red for bad days, and yellow for days considered potentially problematic. And then, eventually, Joan became responsible for scheduling flights and speeches, debates, briefings, important announcements, meetings with foreign leaders, and even the couple's major surgeries. She also dove into her high society roots and helped shape Nancy's public image, which, when Joan arrived, certainly needed some rehabilitation, what with the lavish parties, expensive White House china, and her taste for expensive designer clothes that made her critics go nuts. Astrologer Joan Quigley told NBC News she and Mrs. Reagan talked constantly, sometimes several times a day, and not only about the president's safety. She was not only interested in the president's safety, but she was also in, interested in improving her own image. And I was very occupied with that uh, at first. Quigley had veto power over the scheduling of all presidential press conferences. But Joan claims that she had a much bigger hand in public policy than just scheduling. Advising on the Challenger explosion investigation, the appointment of Anthony Kennedy to the Supreme Court, the Iran-Contra affair, the immediate-range nuclear forces treaty, and Nancy's just-say-no anti-drug campaign. Through reading Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev's birth chart, saying that Ronnie's evil empire attitude had to go, and that Gorbachev's Aquarian planet was in perfect harmony with his. They were destined to be chums. In April 1985, Joan was finally invited to the White House that she had been secretly lording over for four years to attend a posh state dinner where she drank champagne and dined on seafood mousse, and where she sat across from Vice President George Bush Sr., who she somehow found quite delightful. She kept a low profile at the party, identifying herself simply as a writer from California, turning away from any camera that might capture her controversial presence. But more than a state dinner, she wanted to see Nancy one-on-one. -on -one. She wanted to take her up on her open invitation for tea. They gossiped and chatted about the astrological signs of the partygoers, 
But Joan also got a feeling as they were saying their goodbyes in front of the elevator doors. She knew in that moment, quote, this woman could chew someone up and swallow and spit up the bones and never feel a thing. In 1988, at the end of their two terms, Nancy and Ronnie took a huge reputational hit when a memoir was published by the former chief of staff, Donald T. Reagan, no relation, by the way, who was ousted during the Iran-Contra scandal, likely because of several major disagreements he had with the First Lady. Titled, for the record, From Wall Street to Washington, the memoir was the first official testimony about the relationship between astrology and the Reagan White House, referring to Joan Quigley not by name, but by the moniker Nancy's friend, claiming that this friend had a hand in quote, virtually every major move and decision the Reagans made. He also painted a less-than-rosy portrait of Nancy, who had attempted to exert an increasing amount of control over the administration and their most important decisions. The president's schedule is the single most potent tool in the White House because it determines what the most powerful man in the world is going to do and when he is going to do it. By humoring Mrs. Reagan, we gave her this tool or more accurately, gave it to an unknown woman in San Francisco who believed that the Zodiac controls events in human behavior and that she could read the secrets of the future in the movement of the planets. In response to his expose, Joan would give interviews to confirm that yes, she was in fact that famous White House astrologer, feeling the need to stake her claim to the credit as several other prominent soothsayers came forward to exploit the anonymity of this friend. After she talked to the press, Joan claims that Nancy never contacted her again. The next year, Nancy published her own memoir, My Turn, which disputed Donald Reagan's account, quote, Joan's recommendations had nothing to do with policy or politics ever. Her advice was confined to timing. And then the memoir wars continued with What Does Joan Say? My Seven Years as a White House Astrologer that disputed Nancy's account and Donald Reagan's too, saying she played a far more pivotal role than she was getting credit for. She also took issue with the assertion in both memoirs that Ronnie himself had nothing to do with astrology, only saying, quote, Ella, if it makes you feel better, go ahead and do it. But according to Joan, quote, There's no doubt whatsoever in my mind that the president was fully aware of the contributions I made, the scheduling, my ideas, the problems I solved, and the advice I gave. Everybody has their way of handling those kind of situations. And you really shouldn't criticize people for how they handle anything to get through, particularly that kind of a situation. And, and astrology helped you? It was one, one of the things that helped me. So, you well, include I that in your living? Time, yes. Do you still? No. No. Because of all that's happened since? No, I just, uh, I never had before. <laughs> Joan Quigley, the astrologer, is writing a book about all of this, obviously getting yeah. some fame from it. I mean, does it, does it anger you, sadden you? I think it's too bad that she's doing it. Is she a good astrologer? Well, Ronnie's still here. <laughs> As each of these bombshell memoirs dropped, it caused quite a controversy, garnering laughs from the left and admonishments from the right, and all-around outrage that national security could be discussed like this on private lines with a woman who said she could see the future. The public was also shocked to hear that this occult practice was taking place in such a renowned and religiously conservative administration, since the Bible does not look kindly upon diviners. 
But Joan was a Christian astrologer, make no mistake, writing, quote, I don't see how any astrologer could be an atheist or agnostic. I believe God intends certain experiences for each of us. Astrology is God's way of letting us read his overall plans for our lives. But the whole Christian astrologer angle, as well as the whole Nancy got into astrology because her husband was almost killed angle, only holds so much weight when we look back at her and Ronnie's pasts as bona fide Hollywood elites, hobnobbing with less-than-conservative stars at sparkling mansion parties. The future president's longtime fascination with astrology became a kind of open secret by the time he was elected governor of California in 1968, and it soon became a press fascination. It was a truly odd event when his inauguration speech was scheduled a few minutes after midnight. Apparently, Jupiter's position was particularly good at that time, which caused much glee among the mystics who were in the know about planetary placements and could tell that this had to be the work of one of their own. His executive secretary was forced to make this statement, quote, he is not guided by the stars, nor do we intend to have stargazers in the administration. His explanation was simple. He just wanted to watch the end of a football game before proceeding with his oath of office to become the whole-ass governor of California. He would eventually admit, offhandedly, to reading the weekly horoscopes of a flamboyant man named Carol Ryder, a lifelong bachelor, as gay men were often referred to in the 1960s. He was the number one astrologer to the stars, a fantastic gossip and de facto therapist for celebrities like Marlene Dietrich, Clark Gable, and Susan Hayward. Carol Ryder called himself the Gregarious Aquarius, and he was. I viewed quite a bit of obscure footage from his extremely popular sun sign parties held at his mansion for hundreds of celebrities and socialites and politicians. Actor Arlene Dahl said of these modest get-togethers at the enormous estate known as Harmony House in the Hollywood Hills, quote, Fish were swimming in the pool for the Pisces party, he lined up sets of twins for the Gemini party, and he rented a live lion for my Leo party. Carol, hello Carol. Would you like to say something for the camera, Carol? I would like to say it's wonderful how all you beautiful, wonderful, marvelous people with me. I'm especially Pussycat. lion who has a birthday. Go to Pussycat, say hello to Pussycat. Say hello to Pussycat. Yes. Carol Ryder later took credit for the aforementioned oddly timed inauguration, and the Reagans became regular clients, with Nancy reportedly sneaking into Carol's famous house, dressed in her fashionable disguise of dark sunglasses and a silk scarf clutched over her head. Ronnie also wrote in his 1965 memoir, Where's the Rest of Me?, that he counted the gregarious Aquarius, the gay astrologer, among his good friends which, considering how he treated gay men during his presidential administration, is some dark shit we're going to have to unpack another time. Due to the unexpected and almost unbelievable nature of this Reaganite astrological association, you might assume that they would be some eccentric outliers in the history of American politics, especially conservative politics. But, oh how wrong you are. Sheeple. More after this. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, 
your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American and Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. And now, back to the show. We all wonder what our day has in store for us, what our future holds. Most horoscopes you look to for answers can help just so much. That's because they can only give you general... Up and coming astrologer to the stars, Jean Dixon first came to the attention of Reagan's predecessor, Richard Nixon, at the same time that she came to the rest of America's attention. In 1963, after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, Printed in Parade magazine back in 1956, she had made a prediction about the 1960 election that a tall, blue-eyed Democratic president would not only win, but he would, quote, be assassinated or die in office, though not necessarily in his first term. Jean and her readers would make much of this successful prediction, and with that, her star began to rise. If I had a friend like Miss Rosemary Woods, how simple my life would be. I'd just give all my problems to Rosemary Woods, and she would erase them for me. Nixon's secretary, Rosemary Woods, is best known as the staffer responsible for the missing 18 and a half minutes of an important Watergate tape that she claimed she accidentally erased. It turned out she was an enthusiastic fan of Jean's, and when Reagan was elected in 1969, she began an almost daily correspondence with the astrologer, much of which is preserved in the White House library. She would then turn these readings into briefings for the president, covering everything from the Soviet nuclear arms race to diplomatic relations with Panama to which staff members might be spies or double agents to how to deal with the eventual Watergate scandal. On May 4, 1971, for exactly 36 minutes, Richard Nixon, Rosemary Woods, and Gene Dixon sat down in person at the Oval Office. Though from what I could find, it is mysteriously missing from the Nixon archives at this moment in time, the entire meeting was recorded, and journalists have pretty much summed it up. 
James Warren noted in the Orlando Sentinel back in 2000 that Jean had just been at the dentist and was, quote, shot through with Novocaine, talking almost nonstop, telling Nixon and Rosemary that she had just addressed a group of anti-war protesters outside and told them of a prophecy she had in 1949 about a young land that God was going to make great. It's because it's God's plan for you, for you to be president of the United States. He's here now to lead us to Christ, the Prince of the Universe, and together we'll all band united under the head of the father of our country, that's our president, and it happens to be Nixon. To which the president responded, Yeah, well, I tell you, you could sell almost anything. By the journalist's descriptions, Nixon did not seem to be enjoying this meeting of the minds. But this odd meeting clearly did not dissuade Nixon from taking Gene's predictions seriously. The next year, two weeks after a deadly terrorist attack at the 1972 Munich Olympics, Nixon requested Gene's opinion on what else but American counterterrorism. In another tape, Rosemary shared Gene's predictions about upcoming attacks, leading Nixon to request that Secretary of State Henry Kissinger form an anti-terrorism task force inspired, at least in part, by Gene's astrological predictions. Rose talks to this soothsayer Gene Dixon all the time he told Kissinger during the meeting. In the mid-1960s, Strom Thurmond was an incendiary right-wing South Carolina pro-segregation senator. He was most well-known for his 1957 record-setting filibuster attempt on the Senate floor during the hearings for a civil rights bill, which lasted more than 24 hours, with people still speculating today about how he was able to go that long without leaving to use the bathroom. Thurman's colleague, Harry Dent, former chairman of the state GOP for South Carolina, met Gene Dixon in 1965. In his memoir, The Prodigal South Returns to Power, he says that Gene was so well-known at the White House that she was allowed to just wander the halls, popping her head into offices of senators just to say hello. She had, after all, been around since the Roosevelt administration when FDR had invited Gene to meet with him to discuss the military affairs of World War II, or so the story goes. When Gene told Harry Dent who she was, he didn't balk at her occultic identity. Instead, he swept her off to meet with Strom Thurmond, realizing that the two held similar foundational beliefs in God and country, law and order, and traditional family structures. That day, Jean gave her prophecy to Thurman, as told by Dent in his memoir, quote, To the senator, the prophetess said she had strong vibrations about him. She said he would play a key role in nominating and electing the next president, who would be a Republican. Now, with the flattery of a famous astrologer dubbing him a kingmaker, Thurman saw himself as the man who would choose the next president of the United States. And Harry Dent saw himself as a man facilitating that kingmaking, leading him to be dubbed a Southern Fried Rasputin in Uncle Strom's cabin. Though most Republican politicians saw hard-right candidate George Wallace as the logical choice, Thurmond and Dent had been developing a relationship with Richard Nixon for years and had become dedicated to him and dedicated to taking their rightful places in his administration. At the time, Nixon was kind of a hard sell to conservatives, 
But after making it clear that his agenda included protecting states' rights to reject civil rights laws, his future as the leader of the new GOP started looking brighter. And it was clear that Thurman was putting a lot of faith in Jean's prediction, writing to her husband, quote, Tell Miss Jean if she visualizes anything, I ought to know, or Mr. Nixon ought to know, to please get in touch with me. She is one of the most wonderful women I have ever known, and I do have so much faith in her and in her closeness to God, and God's expression of his will to her. But another rising star, the far more handsome and charismatic Ronnie Reagan, was also eyeing his first presidential election run in 1968. And wouldn't you know, in addition to Joan Quigley and Carol Ryder, it turned out that the Reagans also saw Gene Dixon on a regular basis. Ronnie would become Nixon's direct competitor for the Republican nomination, and Gene gave both Thurman and Dent the celestial bad news with a sense of urgency. Her charts clearly showed that Ronald Reagan would be the winner and that they had better abandon Nixon now and defect to the other side. Despite their faith in this most wonderful woman, the new prophecy pissed off Thurman and Dent, who nonetheless remained steadfastly behind Nixon. As Dent recalled in his memoir, Before that, I believed Dixon indeed had extraordinary sensory powers. But after we had committed to Nixon, vibrations were not going to dissuade us. In fact, the prophetess lost some credibility with me, since I felt she was being used by some of the Reagan people to mislead us. That's right. Dent and Thurmond became suspicious that Gene Dixon was actually working for the Reagan campaign as a kind of psychic double agent. But the future Gene was describing to Dent and Thurman never came to be, with Nixon clinching the primary and then the presidency, just as they had hoped. But whether Gene was a spy or not, Nixon let bygones be bygones, and Gene's aforementioned correspondence with Rosemary Woods began. Oh, and the whole maybe Reagan double agent thing didn't sour the relationship between Strom Thurmond and Gene Dixon because in 1976, she would officially become the godmother to his youngest child, Paul Thurmond, who would go on to become a Republican senator himself. More after this. Friends, hello. I'm Mike Regnetta, the host of Never Post, a new and independent news podcast about and for the internet. In addition to bringing you the latest in current events, we try to figure out why the internet and the world because of the internet is the way it is. How did influencers destroy tween fashion? What is posting disease and how do you ensure you don't catch it? From what device must one send important emails? We talk about what's going on online and ask together why. Why are we like this? Find Never Post wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to the show. Brothers, we have met today to give the true meaning of this cooperation of the two worlds. It is not a matter of faith, but of fact. It is not only a matter of... At a time when the paranormal was all the rage, Madame Marcia Champney was already a well-known astrologer and all-around spiritualist, holding elaborate seances and gazing into her crystal ball, providing astrological and psychic readings for the rich and famous who parked their fancy cars outside of her house discreetly. 
And this also included Supreme Court justices, congressmen, their wives, and business tycoons with major influence in the country. She even predicted the rise of Woodrow Wilson when she told a young Edith Galt that she would one day live in the White House, not long before she met and married her Woody. Madame Marcia would publish a short memoir of her relationship to the 1920s Warren G. Harding administration in a 1938 issue of Liberty magazine called when an astrologer ruled the White House. I could only get this by buying an original copy that features a cover about Snow White's box office success. It was here that she told the story, now it seems lost to the annals of time. Quote, For a quarter of a century, I, Marcia, had been the hub of the wheel of our national government, and through this woman who was the power behind the throne of her husband's administration, I rule the nation of 120 million people. When the presidential primary was in full swing, Madame Marcia got a knock on her door from four high society ladies, including mining heiress and owner of the Hope Diamond, Evelyn Walsh McLean. Evelyn had brought along three senators' wives, and together they had a question for the renowned seer. Which of their husbands would become the next president of the United States? Madame Marcia requested some information, and the next visit, each brought along jotted notes of their husband's birth date, time, and place. After studying the charts, one stood out as a clear cut above the rest, and Madame Marcia foresaw that the planets of the Hardings were truly extraordinary. Delighted, Florence Harding told her that if her prophecy indeed came true, she would make her the official White House astrologer. In her hilariously self-important written account in Liberty, Madame Marcia wrote, quote, I knew what their success would mean to me, had she not said, I must guide him through you. With him in the White House, I, Marcia, the astrologist, would be the most powerful person in the world. But Florence's excitement was soon quelled by Madame Marcia's second prediction, a chilling bit of cosmic news. If he was indeed elected, Warren Harding would not live to see the end of his term and would instead meet a sudden, violent, or peculiar death. As the couple drew ever closer to the 1920 election, this information haunted Florence with a terrible anxiety, not unlike the anxiety that led Nancy Reagan to Joan Quigley 60 years later. Reportedly, when Florence was attending the Republican National Convention, she dramatically proclaimed to the press, If my husband is elected, I can see but one word hanging over his head. Tragedy. Tragedy. And just as Nancy after her, Florence was livid when she found out that Madame Marcia had told members of the press that she did indeed provide her occultic counsel to the incumbent administration. But once Warren Harding officially became the 29th president of the United States, Florence knew that she needed to take control, that she needed a little psychic assistance. So she got back in touch with Madame Marcia, assigning her the code name Jupiter so that their daily correspondence could continue in secret. Florence soon held more and more control over her husband's schedule, drawing up detailed lists of dates and times that could present danger or good fortune to the president. Sound familiar? During a subsequent meeting with Madame Marcia, Florence was given a clearer picture of the president's apparently unpreventable and ever-nearing demise. She told her that her husband would not live to see 1925. 
but Harding's doctor examined him and said he was very healthy indeed. And so the couple began a grueling cross-country tour so that the president could give speeches in as many cities as possible. On one of these nights, however, he would claim stomach pain. And hours later, after a dose of medical stimulants affected an unknown heart condition, the president was dead. It was 1923. The astrologer was right again. Madame Marcia introduced that short memoir like this. I would not expect you to believe what I am about to tell you if my influence on her career and that of her husband had not become so well known that it precipitated a congressional hearing into the Washington activities of astrologers, seers, soothsayers, psychics, and other fortune tellers. A handful of years after Harding's untimely death, Rumors of the astrological influence he was working under became popular knowledge, leading to a sensational trial over H.R. 8989, which would have imposed a $250 fine or six months in prison for any person pretending to tell fortunes for reward or compensation. The fact that any type of political action could be taken over some quacks, pseudoscientific, paranormal nonsense was enough to enrage magician-turned-brutal-bulldog-debunker Harry Houdini, who made skeptical inquiries into the magical happenings of spiritualism, floating tables, ghostly apparitions, psychic powers, he called the national fortune-telling craze a contagious mental degeneracy. And the fortune-tellers themselves deliberate frauds and cheats. The congressional investigation that followed was a spectacle, with congressmen chuckling not just at the quack mediums, but also at Houdini, whose fiery conviction was clear in his boisterous and dramatic delivery, reportedly unfurling a 50-foot-long scroll of his evidence at one point, laying out the dangers of American charlatans preying on a superstitious public, and the dangers of all that leaking into the government. The magician asked his go-to investigator, Rose Mackenberg, to go undercover and chat with the astrologers who quietly orbited the White House. During her testimony about what she'd heard, Rose made a shocking proclamation regarding a conversation with Madame Marcia, Quote, she said a number of senators were coming to her readings. In fact, most of the senators, almost all the people in the White House, believed in spiritualism. And then she continued, actually calling out senators by name. Capper, Watson, Dill, Fletcher. The whole room filled with gasps and huffs and chuckles and mild congressional chaos. But after all was said and done, the federal bill did not pass, and laws addressing fortune-telling became issues for states and local governments. But the most memorable moment of the hearing came when Houdini waved ten grand in cash toward the soothsayers of the courtroom, asking any one of them to prove that they could, in fact, tell the future. Madame Marcia stood up and pronounced not only had she successfully predicted the 1920 election, but she'd also predicted Warren Harding's untimely death. This claim of hers was not enough for Houdini to fork over the cash, allegedly leading Madame Marcia to roar out her most famous prophecy right there in the courtroom. Houdini will be dead by November. And wouldn't you know it. On October 31st, he unexpectedly dropped dead. 
Before the spiritualism craze swept the nation in the late 1800s and early 1900s, the age of reason largely extinguished the mystical practices common in the early colonies. You know, the Puritans' terrifying superstitions and the multicultural magic of all kinds, especially the occultic traditions that had always been a staple of the English. The Old World decision to colonize the New World may have been planted in large part by none other than Queen Elizabeth I's personal astrologer and right-hand man, Dr. John Dee. Immediately following the death of her mother in 1558, 25-year-old Elizabeth asked him to choose, according to the movement of the stars, the perfect day for her coronation. After he proved his counsel useful to the queen, he brought up something he felt very strongly about, that England was losing out to Spain, France, and Portugal to hurry up and take what was rightfully theirs in what would become North America. The astrologer continued to push for this British empire, a term he coined, but the queen feared that if she publicly tried to stake a claim to this land, that the Spanish and Portuguese colonizers would retaliate with a force that the Brits couldn't match. But nevertheless, with at least some influence from her personal astrologer, she privately gave support to New World explorers. Even farther back than that, it was an astrological concept called the Great Conjunction that would inspire Christopher Columbus to set out on a journey that would change the course of world history. The theory went that every 960 years, the planets completed their zodiac cycle, resulting in everything from the destruction of empires to spiritual revolutions. His predictions proved not so astute, though, since he was trying to find a direct trade route in the waters from Europe to Asia, not discover a new continent to violently conquer. Nonetheless, Columbus said he owed his great success to the grace of God and the God-given arts of geometry, navigation, arithmetic, and astrology. <laughs> And of course she's into Aleister Crowley rituals. Of course it came out in the news she does all this witchcraft. Sex cults and torture cults and devil cults. Folks, I've been told this by high up folks. They say, listen, Obama and Hillary both smell like sulfur. I never said this because the media go crazy with it, but I've, I've talked to people that are in protective details. And so we can see that occultism in government is not just a conspiracy theory. Although briefings from tabloid psychics is a little different from the blood-drinking satanic ritual orgies used to command the dark power of the devil that we've come to know and love. But no matter how you slice it, politics at its heart is about trying to control a national future. It's about future-making. And what could be more helpful than seeing that future before it happens so that you might have the information you need to alter it? While the astrologers that we've talked about today certainly made some uncanny predictions that later turned out to be true, a lot more of those predictions would turn out to be dead wrong. Gene Dixon, for example, said that the Russians would beat the USA to the moon, that World War III would occur in 1958, that the world would end in 1962, that a cure for cancer would be discovered in 1967, and that a baby born in the Middle East would form a new Christianity and that infant would eventually overrule Jesus himself. World peace would be achieved in 1999, but first there would be a major holocaust. Also, in the middle of the Watergate scandal, Gene told Nixon that the planets were in his favor, and in a briefing, his secretary Rosemary Woods told him, quote, Gene Dixon tells us that May and June are going to be pretty bad. June may be worse than May, but everything will turn out 
fine. In terms of the JFK election and assassination prophecy that launched her to fame, she'd actually changed her mind before voting day and re-announced that the Republican Nixon would beat the Democrat Kennedy, but that part of the story was conveniently forgotten. Oh, and not to be picky, but Kennedy's eyes were green, not blue. In 1991, in what I imagine was a response to the memoir wars of Donald Reagan, Joan Quigley, and Nancy Reagan, a Houdinian mathematician named John Allen Paulos wrote about a phenomenon he'd been witnessing with astrologers and psychics, this tendency to ignore all the wrong predictions while focusing on and promoting the true ones, which gives a false sense of authenticity. He called this concept the Gene Dixon effect. Now, the degree to which these astrologers held real sway over the course of American history is very much up for debate. The evidence cobbled together from accounts of people who certainly had their bones to pick with one another and had their own self-interest at heart. But at the same time, when you add these memoirs on top of all the interview quotes, the briefings, the court documents, and the rumors, all at the same time, it's difficult to argue that these political mystical practices were nothing more than a harmless hobby. And just because there have been no reports of astrological counsel that I can find about the Bushes or the Clintons or the other Bushes or the Obamas or the Trumps or the Bidens, doesn't mean that some flamboyant seers out there aren't writing their memoirs as we speak, telling the story of how America, yet again seeking its cosmic control, snuck them in the back door, and how, for a time, they not only told of what the future would bring, but commanded the course of a country from a pretty little table in the dark heart of power, sitting down for tea. This was American Hysteria. If you'd like to get more of our show, just head to patreon.com slash American Hysteria, and you can get access to Hysteria Home Companion, a patrons-only talk show with me and producer Miranda, where we discuss all the hottest gossip from the cutting room floor. And recently, we did a two-part series with our researcher Riley Smith all about the Manson family. So head to patreon.com slash American Hysteria to get access to that show and much more. You can follow us on social media at American Hysteria Podcast on Instagram and at Amer Hysteria on Twitter. If you don't mind, you can always leave us a review on the app of your choice, and you can head to AmericanHysteria.com to get your mitts on some of our merch. American Hysteria is written, produced, and hosted by me, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Sound designed by Clear Camo Studios, co-produced and co-edited by Miranda Zickler, co-researched and co-edited by Riley Smith, with voice acting by Will Rogers. Thanks, as always, for listening. And this pride, you gays go out there and you enjoy your astrology. No one can take that away from you, even me. Have a great pride.